Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I'm Kathy with a K. And I'm Kathy with a C. And this is season two of Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Emporia, Kansas. Emporia is located in Lyon County and has a population of about 25,000 residents. The town was founded by four men as a business venture in 1857, and they named the town Emporia Town Company. It was named after a North African city-state in ancient Carthage, founded by Greeks and known for its bustling commerce. By the 1880s, Emporia had established two colleges and had become known as the Athens of the Plains. Several downtown buildings date to this time period. The town charter prohibited gambling and the sale of liquor on the town site, becoming the first prohibition town in the world, 61 years ahead of the 18th Amendment that brought national prohibition. In 1953, Emporia was the site of the first Veterans Day observance in the United States. Once predominantly Welsh, Emporia is now home to a variety of cultures. Current-day Emporia is known for its beautiful parks, the All-Veterans Memorial, and stone gardens that depict the city's history. But in 1983, one twisted tale of lust and betrayal marked the beginning of the city's most notorious chapter. When vows became lies and friends became enemies, murder ensued. On Friday, November 4th, 1983, Lorna and Marty Anderson, along with their four children, all girls, ages eight, four, and two-year-old twins, drove north from their home in Emporia to do a little shopping. In addition to his job as a laboratory supervisor at Newman Memorial Hospital, Marty was a member of the Army Reserves and served in Vietnam, so the family was able to shop at the PX at Fort Riley. The on-base stores always have the best prices, so it was worth the 80-mile drive into Geary County. On the way home, they did some more shopping in Manhattan, then grabbed some lunch and ice cream. One of the girls ordered a strawberry sundae but couldn't eat it all. And even though her mother, Lorna, had a strawberry allergy, she finished the ice cream. At about 6.30 p.m. while on their way home, Lorna began to feel sick. She was driving the family van, so she pulled over to the side of Highway 177, about 15 miles south of Manhattan. She walked toward a ditch and vomited. Lorna then realized she had dropped her keys somewhere and asked her husband to get out of the car and help her look. And that's when the most unthinkable thing occurred. A masked man came up from behind the van, shot her husband, and took his wallet. The gunman then tried to shoot Lorna, but panicked and ran away when his gun did not fire. Tragically, the Anderson's eight-year-old daughter witnessed the muzzle flashes. An autopsy revealed that Marty died from three shots to the back of his head, fired from a 22 caliber gun. Marty Anderson was 34 years old when he was killed. His funeral was held four days after his murder at Faith Lutheran Church. It was officiated by Pastor Thomas Bird, who was well acquainted with the Andersons because Marty's wife Lorna worked as a secretary at the church. 
Pastor Bird, who knew the grief of loss because his wife died four months prior, expressed shock and sorrow at Marty's death. A memorial fund was established for the Anderson family at the church. Journalist Dan Close of the Wichita Eagle published an article the same day as Marty's funeral. This article gave greater details of a horrific murder. Pastor Bird, who spoke on the family's behalf, was quoted as saying that Lorna informed him that a stranger cloaked in a black ski mask came out of nowhere and shot her husband several times. Then this man grabbed Lorna and pulled her down to the ground. As a car approached, the man shoved Lorna into the ditch, jumped on top of her and told her not to scream. He put the gun to her head and pulled the trigger, but it just went click and didn't fire. Pastor Bird speculated that the attacker thought Lorna was alone and was surprised when he saw Marty. A busload of Clay Center Community High School football boosters were on the way to a game in Council Grove, and they pulled over after being flagged down. On the bus were five EMTs and a dentist who tried to revive Marty, but they were unsuccessful. They were also helping Lorna, who was hysterical and in shock. Now, because Lorna was so distraught, she could not provide investigators with many details. In the Wichita Eagle article, Geary County Undersheriff John DePercio was quoted as saying that he would like Lorna to undergo hypnosis to see if she could remember more details about the attack. The sheriff also said that authorities were interviewing people in an attempt to solve this bizarre killing, but he said they didn't have a suspect, a murder weapon, or a motive for the murder. The little Anderson girl could only tell investigators that it was a man, but could not give any further details. Investigators began interviewing Lorna Anderson's friends and neighbors with the hope of deciphering a motive for her husband's incomprehensible murder. They could not fathom why someone had been hiding in the brush on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. And Kath, when they were interviewing people, they quickly surmised that Lorna's marital vows were a rather loose concept, shall we say? Maybe they were guidelines. <laughs> anyway, apparently Lorna was rather generous with sharing herself with other men. That sounds so, like something the town elders would say. Exactly. <laughs> Anyway, so shortly into their investigation, the Geary County Sheriff's Department were contacted by Lorna's insurance agent. The agent informed detectives that on Saturday morning, a little over 12 hours after Marty's murder, Lorna called the agent asking whether it would be a problem to cash in the life insurance policy that had been issued six months prior for $270,000. Which actually makes sense. I mean, I know it sounds quick, but she's got four little kids. She has four little kids. And we have no idea what their financial situation was. Totally agree. Then one pivotal person spilled his guts when interviewed by investigators, Lorna's former hairdresser. Kath, I didn't read this in the court records, but I believe they came across his phone number when looking through Lorna's telephone records. It was clear the police were doing a lot of investigating because according to another article written by journalist Dan Close, 35-year-old Daniel Carter was arrested and charged with conspiracy to commit first-degree murder as well as criminal solicitation. Daniel Carter had been Lorna's hairdresser, but at the time of his arrest, he worked as an electrician at the Wolf Creek Nuclear Power Plant. Kath, by the way, I saw a picture in my research, and I think it was a picture of him in the newspaper, and he looks nothing like a hairdresser. He looked like the freaking Unabomber. Are you serious? I swear to God, he looked like the Unabomber. It looked like he just as soon cut your throat as cut your hair. I swear. Maybe that's why he was working at the power plant. (laughs) Maybe he realized he needed a zig when he should have zagged. Right. 
So anyway, Daniel Carter told investigators that in September, this was two months before Marty Anderson's death, he received $5,000 from Marty's wife, Lorna, to have her husband killed. But the plot was never carried out. Now, in addition to Daniel Carter's arrest, sheriffs also arrested 20-year-old Gregory Curry of Mississippi. Daniel told investigators that after receiving the $5,000, he gave it to Gregory, who passed it on to an unnamed assassin. So much like your, you didn't know how they found Daniel, we assume they knew each other because Gregory was a quality control welding inspector for nuclear power plants. So with his job, he would have to go to other power plants in the region. And we're assuming he met Daniel as part of that. Fun fact, there are actually 22 nuclear power plants in the Midwest. Did not know that. I did my research. And 99 in total in the United States, which I had no idea there was that many. Neither did I. Now, five days after Daniel and Gregory were arrested, Lorna Anderson was arrested at a relative's home in Topeka and charged in Geary County with aiding and abetting first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. Lorna was accused of giving Daniel Carter the $5,000 to hire a hitman. Geary County Sheriff's chief investigator, Al Buskey, was quoted as saying that Lorna conspired with Daniel Carter to have her husband done away with. $5,000 changed hands, and Daniel's function was to have someone take care of Marty. The investigator was also quoted as saying that they knew the identity of the hired killer, but simply could not locate him yet. They were hoping to make an arrest soon. After Lorna Anderson's arrest, sheriff's investigators searched her home. In her lingerie drawer, as it was referred to in court records. Or if you're like me, it's just an underwear drawer. Exactly. (laughs) Investigators found handwritten cards. The cover of one of these cards read, Miss you, miss you, miss you. Everything I do echoes with the laughter and the voice of you. The cards contained romantic messages and one was signed, Love you always, Tom. The romantic cards were from Pastor Tom Bird the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church, where Lorna worked. Investigators interviewed Pastor Bird, who denied any romantic relationship with Lorna Anderson and any involvement in Marty Anderson's murder. So investigators, Calf, worked at record speed because here we have three people charged for conspiracy and solicitation over Marty's murder within three weeks of his murder. What happens, Kath, is Daniel Carter is sitting in jail and he has a brother, Daryl. Daryl hires an attorney for him. And according to court records, the attorney's name is Michael Patton. So Michael meets with Daniel, the hairdresser, and Daryl, the brother, in the jail. And Daryl pulls the attorney aside and says, look, there's more involved here. This goes much deeper than you know. And he proceeds to tell the attorney this unbelievable story. Daryl, although married with kids, had a previous affair with Lorna, and he said that in May of 1983, which is six months before Marty's murder, he got a call from Lorna saying, hey, can you come to the church? And he had no idea what she wanted. So a few days later, he shows up at the church and Lorna introduces him to Pastor Tom Bird. So they're all in Lorna's secretarial office. And Lorna tells Daryl that Pastor Bird was going to help her kill her husband and they needed Daryl's help. So Daryl's like, what? And he basically looks at the pastor and says, why don't you just counsel Lorna and Marty or encourage Lorna to get a divorce? Pastor Bird supposedly tells Daryl that Marty has a nice life insurance policy and Lorna wants the money. She doesn't want a divorce. And the pastor told Daryl that he loved Lorna and he was doing this to help her. 
The pastor also said that he planned to preside over Marty's funeral so that he could be close to Lorna without anyone suspecting his involvement. So Daryl tells his brother's attorney this, and then he says, at this meeting, both Lorna and Pastor Bird discuss possibilities on how to kill Marty. They suggested maybe drugging him or poisoning him and dumping him on the railroad tracks. And then they basically come down to two plans, okay? So the first one is to drug him or get him drunk, load him into his car, take him to a place in the country where there was a bend in the road and a bridge with a 50-foot drop. They would then push his car over the embankment and into the water. So Lorna tells Daryl, look, I need you to pick up Pastor Bird after he pushes the car over the embankment and into the river. I need you to bring him back to town because I have to stay home and establish an alibi. So that's plan number one. He said plan number two was faking a robbery and shooting Marty to death in a house where he stayed while attending his monthly military reserve meeting in Topeka. As Daryl is telling his brother's attorney the story, he basically said, look, I was afraid for my own safety. I cannot believe they asked me to do this. So he tells Lorna and Pastor Bird, I need time to think it over. And as he's leaving the church in May, again, six months before Marty's murder, Pastor Bird says, look, if anyone asks why you're here, just tell them you were discussing the possibility of the church's youth group selling fireworks at your annual fireworks stand. So Daryl leaves, doesn't tell him anything. And a few days later, Pastor Bird comes to his job site and says, hey, do you have a decision? And Daryl says, look, I haven't made a decision yet. But later on, he called the pastor and said, you know what? I'm not interested. Keep me out of it. Even though Daryl declined to help kill Marty Anderson, his brother Daniel later agreed to be the go-between and deliver the $5,000 to a hitman. Kat, this whole conversation is happening at the end of November. It's happening in the same month that Marty's murdered. So the lawyer's like, okay, let me have some time to digest this. About a week later, a married woman with whom Daryl was currently having an affair calls him and gives him a cryptic message. She said, Tom Bird said he wants to see you to reaffirm your trust. Now, she had no idea what that meant, but of course, Daryl did. So Daryl immediately goes to his brother's lawyer and says, look, Tom Bird wants to see me. I'm kind of freaking out. The attorney immediately called the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, who interviewed Daryl. During this meeting, it was agreed that Daryl would call Pastor Bird to set up a meeting. The phone call and the actual meeting were recorded. Daryl secretly had on a bulletproof vest and met the pastor in a parking lot to talk. And during this chat, Pastor Bird referenced previous conversations they'd had and said they should both remain silent about the conversations and keep each other clean. Pastor Bird said he didn't want to be involved, nor did he want Daryl to be involved for the sake of their kids. Pastor Bird told Daryl that detectives suspected him of being involved because Lorna and he had a close relationship. The pastor reminded Daryl that if anyone asked him why they met, he was to say they were discussing the youth group working at Daryl's fireworks stand. On the recording, there were no outright admissions about the plot. And in fact, the pastor asked Daryl if he thought Lorna planned the murder, and Daryl said he didn't know. After investigators got Daryl Carter's recording of Tom Bird, Daniel Carter and 20-year-old Gregory Curry pleaded guilty to solicitation to commit first-degree murder. And Kath, because of Daryl's assistance, his brother Daniel only got four years of probation, and Gregory Curry received a sentence of two and a half to seven years in prison. 
In March of 1984, three months after Curry and Carter's guilty plea, the county attorney for Lyon County, Rodney Simmons, charged Pastor Tom Bird with solicitation to commit the first-degree murder of Marty Anderson. At this point, Tom Bird and Lorna Anderson have both been charged with crimes, but were both out on bail. Lorna had two cases set. One was in Geary County and one was in Lyon County, and her cases were set after Tom's murder solicitation trial in Lyon County. And so, Kat, the two counties kind of have interplay because the murder of Marty happened in Geary County. However, the alleged solicitation and conspiracy and all the players live in Lyon County. So each county can charge for whatever crimes were committed there, irrespective of what the other county is doing. In July 1984, Pastor Tom Bird's case proceeded to trial. Both Carter brothers were called to the stand by the prosecution. Daryl Carter told the jury about his meeting with Lorna and Pastor Bird. Also, the tape conversations with Pastor Bird were played for the jury. Daniel testified that four months after Daryl's meeting with Lorna and Pastor Bird, he received $5,000 from Lorna and passed it on to Gregory Curry in order to hire a hitman from Mississippi. He did not know the hitman and no hitman was ever identified. In fact, Kath, even though authorities originally announced that they thought they knew who it was, they didn't. It was a dead end. And so no hitman was ever arrested. Do you think they actually knew or do you think that they were just trying to cover? My guess is that Gregory Curry wasn't cooperating, which is why he got the higher sentence. And my guess is that Daniel said, hey, Gregory's giving money to a hitman. I think the hitman is so-and-so or get the hitman's name from Gregory, that kind of thing. So they probably had hoped that they were going to find the hitman through either one of them, but that still fell apart. Right. It was as a pastor and that kind of thing. Daryl Carter's testimony, as you can imagine, carried the day. And in early August of 1984, nine months after Marty Anderson was murdered, the jury found Tom Bird guilty of solicitation to commit first degree murder. He was sentenced to not fewer than two and a half years and not more than seven years in prison. So he was given the same sentence as Gregory Curry. But Geary County Sheriff's Lyon County Sheriff's and the Kansas Bureau of Investigation were not quite done. Even though they secured these three convictions and Lorna Anderson's cases were still pending in court, something Daryl told them piqued their interest. As it turned out, one method of murder proposed by Pastor Bird was far too similar to the actual death of someone else. On July 18, 1983, just four months before Marty Anderson was murdered, an article appeared in the newspaper that was so short, many readers would have overlooked it. The United Press International article said that a woman driving alone on a Lyon County road about 3 a.m. was killed because her vehicle went out of control on a turn, jumped the embankment, and landed in a creek. That woman was Sandra Bird, the pastor's wife. Prior to her death, 33-year-old Sandra Bird, who went by Sandy, led a busy life as the mother of three young children and the wife of a pastor. She had a master's degree in math and was teaching at Emporia State University and working on a second master's in computer science. Her husband, Pastor Bird, was expanding church membership by adding recreational sports leagues, daycare, youth programs, and social opportunities. The pastor loved sports and was an avid runner. He was also a gregarious church leader. In fact, it was through the softball league that the Birds met Marty and Lorna Anderson, with Lorna eventually becoming the church secretary. 
Hasterbert officiated at his wife's funeral and laid her to rest in Arkansas near her family. According to later release details, on July 17, 1983, Sandy Bird was discovered below the Rocky Ford Bridge floating face down in the Cottonwood River in front of her overturned station wagon. This bridge is located on a gravel road in rural Lyon County, south of Emporia. Kath, I actually looked this up on a map, and so I kind of want you to envision this. Okay, hang on. Go ahead. Are your eyes closed? Are you ready? They're closed. I'm ready. I got a blank slate right there for you. Go. Okay. So the bridge itself is old. It's like one of those iron truss bridges that's about 200 feet long and it's about 15 feet wide. So it can only accommodate one car at a time. Leading up to the bridge, you're on a gravel road that could probably fit two cars if it had to. It's in the middle of nowhere. There are occasional houses off in the distance, but it's very, very rural. It's pitch black from the direction that Sandy was coming. In order to get to the bridge, you had to make a hard right turn around this curve, almost a 90 degree turn, and then swing back to your left almost in a 90 degree angle. And that would lead you to the bridge. As you are coming toward the bridge, there's lots of foliage and trees because you're obviously near the river and the embankment is very steep. It seems like if you're on that road so late that you should be familiar with it. Or going like 10 miles an hour. Or five. Yeah. Anyway, so as you approach the bridge, again, there's the steep embankment off to each side. Sandy's car was found upside down in the river. If you're approaching, she was to the right. So that is the description of the road at which Sandy's car was found. Macabre side note, the bridge is now supposedly haunted. By Sandy Bird? Yes. I read these sort of stories of lore and you can supposedly hear her screams and see her ghost walk the shores of the water at night. Bonjour, parlez-vous français? Me neither, (laughs) despite the fact that I paid for it in college, which is why I need Rosetta Stone, and so do you. As you all know, I've used Rosetta Stone in the past for my German, and it's wonderful. And in fact, my niece is going to be studying abroad this fall, and she's going to be using Rosetta Stone so that she can learn the language and have a much more enriching experience while she's abroad. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. And they have speech recognition, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. They also have two different options available to use it. It's available both on your desktop and through an app. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Killer Destinations listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.
After Sandy's death in July of 1993, pathologist Dr. Juan Gabriel performed an autopsy and determined that she died as a result of the automobile accident when her car missed the bridge and she went down a steep embankment and her car flipped and landed in the river. The doctor noted that the most serious injury was a kidney that was nearly bisected. Dr. Gabriel believed that it was the kind of injury that victims of motor vehicle accidents experience due to the blunt force trauma. So with the details of Sandy's car accident in mind, in the fall of 1984, two months after Tom Bird's murder solicitation conviction, the Lyon County prosecuting attorney Rod Simmons had the body of Sandy Bird exhumed. This action was supported by Sandy's family as well as law enforcement. Prosecutor Simmons asked a Wichita forensic pathologist, Dr. William Eckert, to examine the body even though it was a year and a half after Sandy's death. After the results of the second autopsy came in, a grand jury was convened and Tom Bird was indicted on charges of first-degree murder. The second criminal trial of former pastor Tom Bird began in July of 1985 in the Lyon County District Court. The sole issue in the trial was whether Sandy Bird was murdered or whether she was killed in an accident. The case was difficult because there were no eyewitnesses and had to be determined by the jury exclusively on the basis of circumstantial evidence. The prosecution told jurors that Tom Bird killed his wife on the bridge, dumped her body in the water, and staged a phony accident. The defense contended that Sandy lost control of her vehicle and fell into the water when her driver's door opened during the rollover. At trial, it was revealed that Sandy Bird was unhappy in her marriage and believed that her husband was having an affair with Lorna Anderson. One witness testified that Sandy had lost weight and appeared depressed about her husband's relationships with other women. Sandy told friends about a time when a preschool teacher in her husband's church told her she used to wish Sandy would die so she would have Pastor Bird all to herself. As is customary of your typical preschool teacher. <laughs> all I was thinking is if they're in the South, she should have said, bless your heart. Exactly. Maybe they grow really aggressive preschool teachers in Emporia. No kidding. Her side hustle was prison guard. <laughs> Daryl Carter also took the stand and again testified about his conversations with Lorna Anderson and Tom Bird. Medical experts took contrary approaches to the evidence. The prosecution expert, Dr. Eckert, revealed that his examination of the exhumed body showed fractures of the left shoulder blade and a laceration on the top of Sandy's head, indicating blunt force trauma capable of rendering her immediately unconscious. Dr. Eckert also found three linear type injuries to both wrists and the right arm, which he believed were defensive injuries to ward off blows. He said these blows could have been caused by something like a branch of a tree, a baseball bat, a pool cue, or a tire iron. In Dr. Eckert's opinion, the injuries to Sandy Bird's kidney could have been caused by her falling from the bridge. He also testified that he did not find any injuries consistent with her being ejected from her car. Dr. Gabriel, who conducted the original autopsy, concluded that Sandy's death was caused by loss of blood due to internal injuries caused by being ejected from the vehicle. In his judgment, her death resulted approximately 30 minutes to one hour after the injuries occurred. However, he could provide no explanation as to why there was no water in her lungs when she was found lying face down in the water. 
Based on stomach contents, Dr. Gabriel believed that Sandy died within three hours of eating her last meal, and only a small amount of alcohol was found in Sandy's system. Prosecution's biomechanical expert testified that given the vehicle's roll down the embankment, it was his opinion that if the driver door opened, Sandy would have fallen out on the land and not in the water in front of her vehicle. The interior of her car contained no blood or hair indicating that she had banged around on the inside of the vehicle. The defendant's biomechanical expert concluded that Sandy was thrown from the driver's side of the car as it went down the embankment at a speed of 15 to 20 miles an hour and rolled over, tossing her into the water. He said her injuries were inconsistent with the prosecution's theory that she was thrown off the bridge. On the night Sandy's body was discovered, police officers arrived at the scene and took photographs and measurements. They also testified and they said there was no evidence that Sandy's car was out of control on the curves or near the bridge. There was no evidence of braking, skidding, or sliding. Police officers at the scene observed tiny amounts of blood on the bridge and they found a tree that was located under the bridge about 20 feet from the resting place of Sandy's car. This tree had blood on it that was the same type as Sandy's. Remember, it's 1983. Exactly. No one's doing DNA. There was no credible explanation as to how Sandy's blood could have been located on the west side of the tree when she was ejected from her vehicle on the east side of the tree. Tellingly, Sandy's watch was also found under the bridge near the tree where her blood was discovered. Investigators believe the watch fell through the planks on the bridge as she was being attacked. Also under the bridge were two plastic cups. Although Tom Burr did not take the stand in this trial, as he had done with his first trial, he told two witnesses about the details of his last evening with Sandy on the night of her death, and they testified at his trial. Pastor Bird said Sandy was asked to teach more classes at Emporia University, so they decided to celebrate that night. Sandy brought hamburgers to the church, and they ate dinner together there. Then they went to a movie. After the movie, at about 9.30, they went by the house and Sandy picked up a bottle of bourbon and a bottle of cold duck. When I read cold duck, it cracked me up. Cold duck was like the 1980s version of two buck chuck. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> then they went back to the church and had a drink. Then they went to a club and had two more drinks. According to the witness testimony, Pastor Bird told these witnesses that he and Sandy then left the club at about 10.45 p.m. and went back to the church where Sandy dropped him off. He worked on a sermon and Sandy went to her office at Emporia State University. She said she'd be back to pick him up in about 45 minutes to an hour. So between 11.15 and 11.45, Bird said he went jogging for approximately 2.6 miles. Kath, they did more in four hours than I do in a week. <laughs> I'm actually in that same boat. <laughs> I know Sandy was 33. How old was he? He was 33 as well. Oh, he was. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, then. So they had all that young, fun energy. Exactly. <laughs> they can go out to dinner. They can go this. They, they can, can go do to the that. Club. They and can go dancing. she can go to work and he can go run. And... For two and a half miles. Right. Yeah. I'm not interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so when Sandy didn't return home by midnight, Tom told his friends that he drove by the university, but his wife was not there. So he began making telephone calls to the babysitter, personnel at the university, the Emporia Police Department, the sheriff's office, and the hospital. Early the next day, police officers notified Pastor Bird that Sandy had been killed in a car accident at Rocky Ford Bridge. 
He told officers she never went out that way, and so it didn't make any sense to him why she'd be there. Pastor Bird told police Sandy had last eaten food about 7 p.m. at the church. So this would put the time of her death in the neighborhood of 10 p.m. because, remember, the pathologist estimated that she died within three hours of her last meal. Kath, this time frame makes sense because prosecutors believed that when Sandy went back to her house to get the alcohol, you know, the cold duck and the bourbon, that she and Tom actually drove out to this bridge to sort of have a romantic time. They think that was sort of the guys and that they went up to the bridge. They had a couple drinks as evidenced by the cups they found under the bridge. So investigators believe that they parked the car, that Tom brought her out on the bridge and that he attacked her there. So although the prosecutors didn't opine what the weapon is that he attacked her with, the expert said it could have been a tire iron. Anyway, they think Tom Bird attacked her, dumped her over the bridge, which killed her, and then rolled her car over the steep embankment, causing it to flip as he jumped out. In July of 1985, just three years after Sandy's death, the jury found Tom Bird guilty of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. As we've learned... Life is not actually life. Exactly. (laughs) And in Kansas, it's really not life. It's not even a generation. (laughs) Kansas law at the time permitted parole after 15 years. The judge, however, ordered his solicitation sentence for Marty's murder, which was two and a half to seven years, to be served consecutively with his murder sentence. Two months later, Lorna Anderson now knows that Tom Bird has been convicted twice and her solicitation trials are pending. In fact, Kath, I think they were two days away from starting. So she decides to plead guilty. In open court, Lorna Anderson said, Tom Bird and I agreed to and conspired to murder my husband, Martin Anderson. And she also said, I was tired of being beaten up and abused. Tom Bird gave me $5,000 in cash and I gave it to Daniel Carter. Now, Kath, the judge was having none of the abuse claim. He didn't believe it for a second. He was like, nay, nay, fair maiden, you know, you're fine. He knew she was doing it to try to get a lighter sentence. And he basically smacked that down. He sentenced Lorna to a consecutive sentence totaling five to 18 years. When I think of this case, I feel so sorry for her children. Lorna Anderson's eight-year-old was there and saw the muzzle flash. Like she had four kids in the car at the time. That's so sad to me. And she was probably thinking, oh, if I have kids in the car, then no one's going to think I'm going to do something like this. Because what kind of mother would do that? Now things begin winding down in Emporia until a journalist from the Los Angeles Times named Scott Kraft published an article eight months after Tom Bird's conviction. You know, Californians are always ruining it for everyone else. Honestly, this article ran on the front page and was entitled, We Don't Have These Type of People Out Here, Murderous Affair Shocks Kansas Town. It was a well-written and compelling article where he goes through the murders of Marty Anderson and Sandra Bird. The story itself and the way he wrote it captured the imagination of Hollywood. And next thing you know, there's a two-part miniseries on CBS that came out the following year. This made-for-TV movie was filmed in Emporia and called Murder Ordained. And it was about a homicidal Kansas preacher. And the show opened with, What Follows is Based on a True Story. 
Kath, do you remember when TV was the only game in town? And if there was like a show that was wildly popular, everybody knew about yes. it. Yes. And most of them were about true crime. There was a ton about true crime. So my friends and I used to call them Be On A TS. A what? A Be On A TS. So we'd be like, hey, there's a movie. You want to come over and watch it? And we'll be like, what is it? And they'll be like, it's a Be On A TS. A Meaning, Be On A TS. Oh, that's based hysterical. Based on a true story. <laughs> So I will still ask that question, especially with doing true crime now, too. Right, right. It's like, oh, did you hear about the HBO show? Oh, yeah, it's Be on a TS. <laughs> Candy Montgomery, Be, Be on, on a, a TS. <laughs> so what happens is this made for TV movie is insanely popular. The journalist focused on one single trooper. I'm sure it made him popular with all the other troopers and sheriff's deputies and I know. Kansas Ex Bureau of Investigation that's exactly agents. exactly right. In real life, there was a Kansas State trooper. I can't remember his name. But when he was at Sandy Bird's crime scene, he noticed all these inconsistencies. But he was thinking like, I'm not at the detective level. They're going to figure this out and they're going to realize this is shady. So I've since read interviews and seen interviews with retired Geary County investigators. He wasn't the only one who thought there was something suspicious. We hated that guy. We all knew there was something <laughs> suspicious. Well, once the coroner came out with his findings that it was death due to a car accident, everything kind of chilled out. The trooper probably was the one who either reached out to Hollywood or knew somebody out there who kind of led the way for him, something like that. Because how else would they have just found some random trooper? In other words, like how... To base a script on him. Oh, I see what you're saying. He probably called the journalist and was like, hey, how you doing? I got a great story and it's all about me. Exactly. <laughs> Let me tell you how to write it. And I'm the star of the movie. Right. You know, there's going to be a B on a TS coming out. <laughs> anyway, so of course, the TV show being wildly successful renewed the focus on the fact that nobody was ever actually held accountable for Marty Anderson's murder. They had only been convicted of solicitation and conspiracy. Nobody was convicted of murder. So in 1988, with mounting public pressure, a special prosecutor in Geary County filed charges against Lorna Anderson and Tom Bird for the first degree murder of Marty Anderson. Now, this is five years after Marty's murder, and both of them at this time were serving time for their prior convictions. Lorna actually pleaded guilty to murder in the second degree, which means there was murder with no premeditation, and agreed to testify against Tom Bird. You know, the detectives went in and they're like to both of them, okay, one of you gets a deal, first one who claims it gets it. Probably. So now, Pastor Tom Bird is going through a third trial. And of course, there were witnesses about Tom's affair with Lorna, the love notes found in her underwear drawer, and Daryl Carter's conversations with both Lorna and Tom, remember the youth group and the fireworks stand. Because of Lorna's plea deal, she had to take the stand. She told the jury that the masked gunman who killed her husband was actually Tom Bird. She testified that they were having an affair, they planned the murder together, and the two of them did not want to divorce their spouses. She said Tom thought it wouldn't look right for the kind of ministry he wanted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it gets better. She said that he believed that having Marty and Lorna killed was the lesser of two evils. I don't think this is a potato potato situation. I'm not sure what kind of congregation he was building. <laughs> Maybe the apocalypse begins in Kansas. Right. <laughs> Now, on cross-examination, Tom Bird's attorney pointed out that Lorna was the only person who placed Tom at the scene, and then he proceeded to attack her credibility based upon the lies she previously told the police 
as well, of course, as her personal motivation, which was the hundreds of thousands of dollars in life insurance money. The defense attorney also pointed out that the first time she told investigators that Tom was the killer was after she pleaded guilty to murder two to get a lighter sentence. Tom took the stand and denied any involvement, not only in Marty's murder, but in his own wife's murder. He called Daryl and Lorna liars, and he admitted to having sex with Lorna on five or six occasions, but said it was after the death of her husband. A key witness for the defense was Sherry Galliard. She took the stand and said that Tom was in Topeka in a restaurant between 5 and 5.30 p.m. on the day Marty was murdered. Now, this was 50 miles from the location of his murder. She said that Tom was her pastor and she'd taken an ethics course from him. So she gave him a hug and talked to him for a couple minutes. Other witnesses were there and at trial who confirmed that he was present in Topeka at this time. The murder was between 6 and 6.30. And of course, the prosecution was pushing the time further out because if he's 50 miles away between 5 and 5.30, they want to say he had time to get there. So they recreated the route, arguing that he had more than enough time to drive from Topeka to the location of Marty's murder and pull the trigger. Even though the jury was reminded of Tom Bird's prior convictions after one hour and 15 minutes of deliberation, all 12 jurors found him not guilty. As the verdict was read, Tom Bird hugged his wife, Terry. Yes, Tom got married in prison. And guess what her occupation was? Don't tell me it was a preschool teacher. It was a preschool teacher. <laughs> I bet she was a guard as her side hustle. Well, That's exactly. how she met him. I don't know if it was the preschool Ooh. teacher, but it could have been. been. I, I just don't know. Terry said they were going to continue appealing Tom's prior convictions to prove he did not kill Sandy or Marty Anderson. Now, Kath, he did appeal and all of his appeals were unsuccessful. Lorna also remarried in prison. Apparently, nothing spells commitment like a good old-fashioned prison yard wedding. (laughs) (laughs) After Tom was acquitted, Judy Lundstrom Thomas of the Wichita Eagle interviewed Sandy Bird's mother, Jane Stringer Grismer. She said, you aren't supposed to lose a child. Mothers were meant to be buried first, not to bury their children. Who would suspect that a small town minister who married his childhood sweetheart could be capable of murder. I think it would be wonderful if the last part of this domino effect would be Sandy coming home to dinner and Martin Anderson right behind her. But I know it will never happen. Until I lost Sandy, I had everything any wife and mother could ever want. I miss her. There aren't any days that go by that I don't think of Sandy. Tom Bird was paroled in 2004 after serving 20 years. Lorna Anderson was paroled in 2007 after serving 22 years. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Patreon's coming soon. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 